make sure, and that kind of goes in with what we're talking about with the book of Colossians, and if you'll turn there to Colossians chapter 1, I know last week I said, oh, well, I want to try to get through Colossians chapter 1, and I uh, foolishly thought I could, um, never made it, <laughs> still there, <laughs> but uh, um, just because there's just so much that gets packed in this, you know, I- I'll tell you, and even when we go in a, if what we seem is an exhaust, exhaustive route, uh, with looking at the things in scripture, looking at individual verses, looking at the doctrines and the details that are behind it, I will tell you this, uh, you, you still aren't going to exhaust it. You're still not going to exhaust it. Um, you know, yesterday we were talking with our tax preparer and we were going through and doing all of our tax stuff. And uh, she was making a comment about how she reads the Bible more and more and more and more stuff opens up, more stuff opens up, more stuff opens up. And of course, you know what book she brings up the most, uh, or, you know, in that conversation, not the most, but he's one of the most frequently common uh, books that's talked about when you start talking about reading the Bible. Good old Leviticus. Because people read it and go, what did I just read? I have no idea. And uh, she kind of was the same, and now she's starting to see more and more details in there, more and more uh, um, important doctrines, more and more principles of God and uh, His holiness, a lot of those things. And I, and I will tell you this, it, 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 it's important. It's important. So even though we're trying to go through this, and, and, and again, in a timely manner, uh, sometimes we're going to be a little more exhaustive on some of those verses because they contain so much. But uh, we're going to pick up with uh, chapter 1, and we're going to uh, be over there where, um, uh, just kind of backing up a little bit here um, uh, to, to this uh, verse 24, where Paul is saying, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up uh, that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. And he's talking about suffering for the church. He's suffering for uh, the, the work of the Lord. And it's affecting him, what he's doing for uh, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth, the church at Rome, the church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica, uh, all of those ch- church at Galatia, all of those churches uh, he, he's doing something and he's, he's suffering as part of the body of Christ to help the others, to help the others. And he says in verse 25, whereof I'm made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery, which has been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, again, thank you for the time. Thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to just be in uh, this book and uh, to learn of you. And I pray, Lord, that as we finish up this uh, chapter, that, Lord, you just give us that understanding that comes from you and comes from your uh, Holy Spirit and from your word. And again, Lord, I just thank you for those that are here this morning. 
And I pray, Lord, that uh, we just be a blessing one to another. Above that, Lord, bless your name by what we'd say and do and by, by uh, being attentive to what you have for us. Pray you'd be with me and just speak through me. And this time I ask, Lord, um, this in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are talking about Paul's ministry to the church. And I, I will tell you this, it's not just Paul's ministry to the church. Uh, it is a ministry that is the responsibility of every believer. As we've talked about, we all have the ministry of reconciliation. We all have uh, a ministry to minister one to another. So if we were to define that word ministry or minister or anything of that nature, we're talking about the essentially the assistance, the, the help, the, the, the guidance that's there. Uh, you know, we take a look at, uh, say, British government, and everybody's got a minister. Uh, there's a prime minister, and there's a minister of uh, homeland, and there's a minister of uh, this, and a minister of that, and so on and so forth. And they call them ministries, uh, and the purpose behind it is, is that they are supposed to help one another and help the British people. Now, again, you know, we're, we're talking about human government, and human government often just kind of goes way off rails and, and winds up becoming this self-sustaining juggernaut because it's generally filled with pride and greed and everything else. And again, I really honestly don't care which government you talk about, whether we're talking about communism or whether we're talking about our republic, we can see even in our country, there are individuals whose sole purpose for being a politician is prestige, power, what they want, glory for themselves, and money. I mean, there are those that exist, and there are those that are out there, and do it for that purpose. They don't do it to help people. You know, uh, back in 1776, and when they started forming this country, the idea was is it was to help the citizens. It was for the citizens of the United States. The Bill of Rights uh, was something that if you read the preamble to it of when it was drafted in the first draft uh, before the Second Amendment and was the Second Amendment and so on and so forth, it was actually further down the list. It was like number four or something. I forget what it was, but... Before all that, the, the, the preamble to that draft was the purpose of the Bill of Rights is to make the citizenry more comfortable with the government and to place restrictions on the government. Not replace restrictions on people. And people have got that totally wrong today. Again, this is why, you know, constitutional law is an important thing to learn. That being said, uh, we, we, you know, we take a look at what goes on with ministries and how people are supposed to help each other that that is that is something that you know the lord expects us to do and again you know to quote ronald reagan you know some of the scariest words that were ever said or or can be said i'm here from the government i'm here to help you <laughs> that's that, that's a scary thing because again we, we you know we we, we kind of keep a weary you know eye and look at that and go i don't know about that especially with some of the stuff that they do that being said the ministry that Paul has been given is to help the body of Christ. Is to help the body of Christ. And we see that in verse 24. He says, look, I'm going to start rejoicing in my sufferings. 
I'm going to start rejoicing in, in, in what I've gone through about the things that, that, that I've endured, the things that, that have, have, have been a, a, a hardship for me. Because again, we see all of those things that, 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 that we as believers think are suffering in the Western world, which really sometimes is not real suffering, but you know, it may get there. But when we look at the suffering that Paul went through and his description about being shipwrecked and beaten and uh, whipped and uh, imprisoned and going through, you know, uh, you know, want of food and just being generally, if you will, miserable in the flesh. But all of those things he, he, he counted as joy because it was an opportunity to help the body of Christ. It was an opportunity for people to see, okay, Paul is suffering for, for the Lord's sake, and that helps other individuals because people see the suffering and see how he responds to it. I will tell you this, one of the greatest ministries that you will ever have is when you go through affliction and somebody else watches you. Elihu said that to Job. He says, do you, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, do you not understand that the people out there are watching you, Job, and how you're responding to this? He had, he, he, he had a, a position that, that, that people looked at Job as, as one of the honorable men of, of that area, and they looked to him, uh, you know, for, for the way that he was following after God and the way that he was seeking God. And, and Elihu reminds them and says, hey, remember, they're watching you. The world is watching you. Other Christians are watching you. Now, that may seem a little creepy, if you, especially I mean, because if you don't like people watching you, I, I, I totally get it. I don't like people watching me. I, I get somebody, it always would drive me crazy. I'd be sitting there working and one of my employees would come up behind me. And they're just watching me work and they're watching the screen. And I'm just like, quickly lock the screen and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're creeping me out. Quit stalking me. What do you want? <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's a better way of doing that than, you know, coming around and standing behind me and watching me. Just, no, 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 no. Just leave me to do my work. I, I don't do, you know, the people looking over and watching everything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just, just, just let me do the work. Okay. Give me some guidance. Give me some direction. You don't need to watch me do it. Okay. But I will tell you this. The people out there are watching. And the question is, are they going to see you rejoice? Here he makes this very clear. He's talking about all of these things, uh, and talking about Christ being the preeminent. And if Christ is the preeminent in our life, if he is in that position that is his and his alone, and he is there, when we go through the difficult things, let's ask the question, are they going to see somebody that is angry and mad and frustrated and throwing things and cursing and just carrying on and things of that nature? Or are they going to see God? Are they going to see Christ? Are they going to see how they handled it? Because we, we, we you know, when we see Christ going through those sufferings, the Bible says he just stood there uh, like a lamb, dumb. 
being led to the slaughter, right? So we understand that, that, that Christ is doing that, but Paul looks at what Christ did and then in turn turns around and does the same thing. Because he is looking at Christ and he knows that other people are watching him. Now, yes, everybody's eyes should be on Jesus Christ, but I will tell you this, people will see what you do. They will see how you respond. They're going to to see when you go through the most difficult part of your life, they're going to see how you respond. That's a witness. It's a testimony. And it's a ministry. And it's a ministry to them. I've had people come up to me and go, how in the world can you put up with a, you know, with that guy at a workplace? And I'm like, I have compassion upon him. Why? Because that's the Christian thing to do. Well, he's a jerk and he mistreats you. I get that. I totally get that. I had one boss one time, and man, he hated the fact that I got put in that position. Because he got circumvented. He was a general manager of a branch, and the regional vice president put me in that role, hired me, put me there, sent me down there to do that job. And the general manager didn't have a choice of putting in there who he wanted to put in there, which really kind of irked him. So he, he just he didn't care for me. And he tried to make my life miserable and he tried to find ways to, to write me up and do all sorts of stuff. And, and, you know, you talk about having to be, you know, making sure you were blameless and things like that. And he still made some things up and saying this and saying that. And then, you know, again, part of it was, you know, getting rid up, written up for backdoor dealings that he was doing. And I'm like, okay, so, so he's, you know, trying to throw, throw that around my neck and drown me with it and stuff. And, just, you know, general things that you would say, that, 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 that's just disgusting, right? But he saw how I handled those situations. He saw how I handled difficulty. He saw how I handled difficult employees. He saw how I handled and managed the position. He saw all of those things. He saw something different. So at one point in time, as he transitioned to a different role and so on and so forth, uh, he, he was no longer my boss and, and, and things of that nature. And he actually was in an office building right next to ours. And, and, uh, he, he calls me over and he says, Hey, Ken, can you come over to my office? And I said, sure. Yeah, I'll be over there in a minute. And he started having a bit of a respect for me. And I go into his office and, and he says, yeah, I need you to take a look at something. I'm like, okay, w- w- what is it you need? I mean, you know, we're, I, your business is what you're doing and I, you know, I have no, nothing to do with it. He goes, Oh no, this isn't, this is, this is personal. He wanted me to look at a personal matter. Now his personal matter actually happened to be that he had a malfunctioning Benelli shotgun and he wanted me to disassemble it and try to get it fixed. <laughs> well, I just sit there going, we're like, well, okay. I'm like, first and foremost, you brought a firearm into the workplace. <laughs> but yeah, here he is. He's trusting me. With, 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 with a firearm. He's, he, he's trusting me. And in the end of it, 
he saw something different because of the way that I responded to affliction. And here Paul's saying, he says, he says, I'm going to rejoice in this. Who rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. He's saying all of these things that Christ went through, these are things that I'm getting in my body and I'm just going to, I'm going to take this and I'm going to demonstrate to the church, the body of Christ, how to go through it. Because in verse 25, he then says, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given uh, to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Now, verse 25 is an interesting passage. He's talking about fulfilling the word of God. And we're going to get into this in a minute. But when's the last time you asked yourself, when you're looking at your life and what you're doing for Jesus Christ, that you are going to fulfill the word of God. You're going to do what God is asking you to do. You're going to fulfill it. Now, when we take a look at the book of Ephesians, he says that that we are specifically intended to do what? Good works. We're ordained unto good works. That that is what we're, we're supposed to be doing. We trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, not because of our works, but because of his finished work on the cross. But according to Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are created, you know, by him, we're his workmanship, ordained unto good works, meaning that that's what we're supposed to follow through with. That's ministry. That's ministry. Our eyes should always be open for the opportunities of how can I help my brother and sister in Christ? How, how can I do and fulfill the word of God in that manner? How can I fulfill the word of God towards those that are unbelievers by telling them about Jesus Christ, looking for those opportunities? You're fulfilling the word of God if you do that. Now, Paul had a specific fulfillment that he was, that he was doing, this dispensation. Talking about this period of time that God is dealing with Gentiles and Jews at the same time. At the same time. But look at what he says here. He says, according to dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. The purpose of what Paul was doing, the purpose of of his fulfillment, wasn't so that he would get, you know, the, 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 the lauding and the praise and the glory. It was so that he would fulfill what God had had purposed before the world began. What God had said, this was going to happen. This is what needs to occur so that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ can get out to the world, get out to the Gentiles, which was his intent. The Gentiles needed Christ. They need Christ today still. The Jews still need Christ. And when we look at this here, he's saying, look, the, 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 this purpose, this, this dispensation it's about you. 
God's dealt with the nation of Israel, and God is going to deal with the nation of Israel, and God is going to address the promises to Israel. But here we are talking about the gospel being delivered to the Gentiles. And he says, look, I'm doing all of this for you. Now, you, you put that in, 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 you know, if you will, in perspective of what he's talking about in verse 24, and you realize that here he is being abused by his own people. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Well, who hated him? The Pharisees. He was a Benjamite, tribe of Benjamin. Well, who hated him? His own kinsmen. His own people. To this day, you mention Paul with a Jew that you're trying to witness to, it will make them angry because they do not like anything that Paul said. Why? Because he was to the Gentiles. Remember how everyone just freaked out when the Gentiles started getting included? Over there in Acts chapter 10, here's Cornelius. And Peter's like, I shouldn't even be here. Next thing you know is the Holy, the Holy Ghost falls upon them. They didn't lay hands like they were doing with all the other people, like the Jews and the other believers at that time. Just all of a sudden, the Holy, the Holy Ghost falls on these Gentiles and they're like, whoa, what, what just happened? Chapter 11, he's got to go start explaining things. We find Paul's conversion that was there, you know, in the same uh, area, uh, those same chapters in that area. Next thing you know is we see Paul going out and doing those things, and Barnabas is sent to figure out who, who, who this guy Saul is, eventually named Paul, and what he's doing and what he's about. And they bring him back, and, and they're like, well, what's going on with this guy? And you find they're like, okay, well, let's just go ahead and send him to the Gentiles and we'll just do what we're supposed to be doing with the Jews, the commission that God gave, that Christ gave us. God gave him something to do. And it took 12 of those disciples to work with the, the nation of Israel, that remnant. And then you've got Paul who's going to the rest of the world. <laughs> And praise God, he, he was given, you know, Barnabas and Silas and, and, uh, um, you got Timothy and, and the other individuals and Epaphras, as we were talking about here, uh, that, that, that were working and doing the work of the Lord specifically for that. But that was to, to, to again, distribute the gospel to the rest of the world. Why? Because the Jew wasn't doing it. The nation of Israel wasn't distributing it. They weren't talking about it. They were talking about themselves. They were more concerned about their physical nation. They were more concerned about, if you will, the physical promises rather than the spiritual application of, hey, I need to have a relationship with God that I can go tell the rest of this world. They were supposed to be missionaries to the rest of the world. You ever notice that? You ever go along and think about this? When I was younger, it bugged me. I couldn't figure it out until finally it just, you know, with a little help, it dawned on me. Okay, so you've got the major and minor prophets, right? 
You got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, right? You got, you, you got, you got the big hitters. And then you got all these slew of little guys, right? We were not little in any stretch of the imagination. And they're talking about prophecies and they're talking about end times and they're talking about judgment and they're talking about this and they're talking about that and they're talking about the nation of Israel and how God's going to judge all these other people that were doing Israel wrong and it's going to be Israel getting promoted and Israel's going to be top dog and Israel's going to be, you know, the premier of the nations talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the second coming, all of those things. And then right smack dab in there, you got Jonah. And it's not about the Jew, it's about a bunch of Gentiles. Because that's what the Jews were supposed to be doing. And you see what happens when one belligerent Hebrew goes over to a people that were doing wicked, pronounces the judgment of God against their sin, and they go... Uh Uh-oh, 120,000 people turn to God and repent. Greatest revival you'll ever see in Scripture. Bigger than Pentecost. Which is all about the Jew, by the way. But what do we find here? We find that that's the picture of what they were supposed to be doing. But you see how belligerent they were? Those are our enemies. Go tell the enemies that they need God too. Go tell the enemies that they need to realize the nature and the horrific disgustingness of their sin. That's what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't doing that. God knew that that was going to be the case. So what did he have? He had this mystery. The gospel being given to the Gentiles in a very different manner. And he talks about that in verse 26. He says, even the mystery which had been hid from ages and generations and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. This is a mystery that's been hidden. I tell you, this is one of the most important things that every Christian needs to grasp. You are not going to be told everything about what's going on in this world by God. Some things are still going to be a mystery to you. Some things you're probably never going to know. Anybody sitting here saying, I've got a whole, you know, I've got the book of Revelation down pat. I know exactly how that's all going to go happen. I still read that book and go, okay. (laughs) There's a lot there. And I tell you, a lot of it isn't going to make sense till it's happening. You think everything in this book, I mean, specifically, this is written to people past, present, and future. It covers all spans of time, every age. And he says, look, this has been hidden from the ages. Was the Jew over there looking for the body of Christ, the church, in the Old Testament? No. What are they looking for? Millennial kingdom. They're looking for their king. That's why everything just was like, just completely 
confusing to them because, again, they were looking at something other than what God was looking at. This is why still the disciples in Acts chapter 1 are like, is this when the kingdom is coming? This is why they struggled with the death of Jesus Christ. This is why they all, all of a sudden just went into hiding and just sat there and were like, what do we do now? They weren't sitting there going, he just died on the cross for my sins. He's going to raise again three days and sit there and just like, day one's down, day two, you know, they're getting all excited. None of that was happening. You know what was happening? Every day goes by and they're sitting there going, chewing their fingernails off. They're hiding out. They're afraid to be in public. Why was that? Because they didn't understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It wasn't until afterwards that he came and showed himself. You know what he did? In Mark chapter 16, before he gives them the commission, you know what he says? It says that he abraded them for their unbelief. Even when the the women came and said, he's resurrected, they were like, no, he's not. He told them. How many times did he tell them? (laughs) They still... They weren't looking for it. The Old Testament saint wasn't looking towards the cross. They were looking at a promise. But they didn't see the promise that had to be fulfilled. They didn't see that mystery. Take a look at a couple of these things that he talks about when it comes to this mystery. Go to Romans chapter 11. This is important to point out. This is an important uh, 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 principle in God's word that we have to understand. You know, Romans chapter 10, and again, you know, not to go through the whole book of Romans again, but Romans chapter 10, you have Paul saying that he would, that the nation of Israel would be saved. But the problem was, is they went about to establish their own righteousness and not submit themselves unto God's righteousness. That's an important principle. Important principle. And he's telling the Romans this. Why? Because we need to submit as Gentiles to God's righteousness, not our own. Our own gets us nowhere. God's, on the other hand, totally different. So what we see here in, in, in that chapter is he says, uh, it talks about that, and then he starts talking about all these things about coming to the Gentiles. And, and again, and he says uh, here in, uh, in this passage, in verse, uh, 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 verse uh, 10 of uh, Romans chapter 11, um, back up to verse nine, and David saith, let their table, uh, be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their way back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Oh, they're jealous. All right. They're jealous, all right. They, they, they get downright angry when you talk about God going to the Gentiles. Because they still think they're the, they're the fulfillment of everything. No, they're not. They are God's chosen people. There are promises that are assigned to them. 
There are things that are given to them. Praise God for it. They're not for the church. Let's not go running around and saying that the, that the church replaced Israel. That's a heretical doctrine. That'll get you messed up really quickly. Next thing you know is you'll be over there speaking in tongues and all sorts of other crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. And next thing you know is you're going through the tribulation. Yeah. I tell you, that crowd that's out there, those those other Baptists that believe that mindset, that say there is no rapture, there is no calling out of the church, that that we're going through the tribulation, those are the same guys that say that Israel is done away with and we are now Israel. No, thank you. No, thank you. And those are the same people that say that the church needs to be purged. Like Israel needs to be purged. We don't find that kind of language with the church. He talks about purging ourselves individually, but not collectively, like the nation of Israel is going to go through. But what we find here in verse 25 is he starts talking about this. And, and, and he says, for I would, brethren, that ye should uh, be ignorant, I would not, excuse me, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. He's saying there is something that's going to happen. In verse 26, he says, so all Israel shall be saved. Now, he's not talking about anybody that is a Jew is automatically going to go to heaven. That is an absolute no. Because they have to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's just not going to happen. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the nation of Israel itself is going to be saved. And we see all of that going through the purging process in the tribulation all the way up to the millennial kingdom when they are then that country, that nation that God said was going to be the one that everyone came to. The one that everyone came to. So we find this here, though, this mystery And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of it. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't be ignorant. We shouldn't be ignorant of the fact that that God has has blinded Israel at this point. One of the hardest people, and people will talk about, oh, it's hard to 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 to, you know to try to go soul winning with a uh, you know you know with an atheist uh, or or you know saying that you know a Muslim is, is is hard to. To, to get them to trust Christ as their savior or, uh, somebody that is entrenched in, in some other, you know, cult or false doctrine or something of that nature. But I'll tell you this, that's not the case. It's, it, it is somebody that is an Israeli, somebody that is Jewish. It is hard. But I'll tell you this, when they do trust Christ as their savior, they become little guy, almost like little mini Pauls. They go out there and they are some of the most aggressive soul winners you have ever seen. They, and, and I'm not talking about being aggressive in, in their nature as, as far as, you know, like, you know, smacking somebody upside the head with a Bible and, you know, pinning them down to the ground and shoving a track in their mouth or something of that nature. I'm not talking about that. Okay. 
I'm talking about that type of aggressiveness, all right? I'm talking about aggressive as in they are trying to tell as many people about Jesus Christ, and they contend for the faith, and they are, you know, working with other Jews, and they are blackballed, and they are, uh, uh, you know, just essentially shunned and, and cast out and and families broken apart because of this. Like, well, that happens in other religions too. I get it, but not to the degree that it happens with 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 the Jews. It's difficult. But we need to understand that. They they, they put themselves in that position. That blindness came because of the hardness of their hearts. And God said, okay, fine. You you want to be blind? Be blind. You want to be hard-hearted? Fine, be hard-hearted. You want to be difficult and, 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 and not listen to the things of God? Fine, I'll give you deaf ears. Because that's what you want. So we as Christians need to understand the same thing. You want to be blind to the things of God? Do we want to be deaf to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit teaching us? Do, 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 do we want to be resistant and rebellious against His will? God can just simply say, fine. I'll let you be what you want to be. Now, isn't that a terrifying thing to think about? As the book of Hebrews talks about, you know, falling into the hand of, uh, of, of God and realizing, oh, he, 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 he's going to take care of what he's going to take care of. That's a terrifying thing. Take a look at another mention of this mystery uh, in, in chapter 16. Chapter 16 of the book of Romans in verse 25. And he says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but is now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets and, and uh, according to the commandments, of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedient obedience of faith. What is he talking about there? He's talking about that mystery that Jesus Christ would die on the cross so that all could be saved. For God so loved the world. John 3.16 God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jew and Gentile alike. Hence the body of Christ, that middle wall of partition being broken down. That we would be brought together, Jew and Gentile, bond, free, male, female, all together in the body of Christ. Doing his will, serving his purpose, according to his ministry, according to his work. And he says this is part of that ministry. That Israel would not see this. Again, this is stuff that was hidden. This is stuff that was not necessarily revealed to everyone. They go through and they read those Old Testament prophecies, and they weren't getting it. I'll give you an example. Over in Acts chapter 8, you have the you have Philip going to the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch was a Jewish proselyte. And he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he asks a question about a messianic prophecy, and he says, is it the prophet talking, 
or about himself or is the prophet talking about someone else? And what does Philip do? Philip has an opportunity to tell him he's talking about Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a perfect example of what we see going on with the nation of Israel. It's an opportunity to say, hey, all those messianic prophecies that you see, that's about the Savior. Because again, they were only looking for a king. Because they didn't think they needed a Savior because they went about establishing their own righteousness. That's a problem. You know how many people will say, well, I believe in God. Okay, do you believe he's the Savior? Do you believe you need a Savior? I'll tell you, that's one of the biggest things that people, is a mystery to me, is how can you not know that you need a Savior? You don't think your sin stinks? Oh man, yeah, it does. Everybody's does. Whether it's a big sin or a small sin, it all stinks. It all sends a putrid smell to God. That's why we needed the Savior, Jesus Christ. Why we needed our God to come and give of himself so freely and sacrifice. That was a mystery. It was a mystery to the world. Go over to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. In the first 12 verses of this chapter really paints this picture about this mystery. And, and and again, for sake of time, we don't have time to go through all of this here, but he talks about this mystery and the mystery of Christ in, in verse 3 and in verse 4, it is being made known. How In verse 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Why did he have to be made known the mystery? Because Paul thought it was still all about the Jew, which is why he was persecuting the church. He's like, this is, no, this isn't, this isn't what God wanted. This isn't what God wanted. And then God pulls him aside and goes, yeah, it is. And the end result is he's now being, you know, it was revealed to him the mystery and saying, this is what was going to happen. This is what needed to happen. This is, this is how we get Israel back on track. And as he goes through this passage, he starts talking about, and he says in verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I am made a minister, in verse 7, according to the gift of the grace of God given me by the effectual working of his power. He says, this ministry, by the way, and he references this again over here in Corinthians, in these last two verses, or excuse me, last couple of verses, where he says, yeah, this is all about God's working in me to accomplish that ministry so that people would trust Christ as their Savior. So that people would grow in Christ. This is why I go through the affliction. This is why I go through the, the trouble. This is, this is why it's, I, I'm going through all of this for you so that you can see what God's mighty hand is doing. I'll tell you that, that there, there is no greater ministry than that. 
There's no greater ministry than going through something and then having uh, very evident that God is working in you and working in the situation and you're like completely not in control of the whole thing and people are going, what is going on and why are you rejoicing and why are you happy? And you're like, God's got this, God's taking care of it. I'm trusting the Lord in it. And people are like, you gotta be crazy. And then they see that and then they go, whoa. God doing what God's done best. And if we think about this, as we look at this, going back to uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse uh, 26, he says, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, this ministry that he's talking about, is the gospel of Jesus Christ coming to the Gentiles, Jew and Gentile being together for the purpose of eternal life, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles. That they would get that same eternal life that was promised. And he says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. Now there's a ministry. There's a ministry. The ministry of the body of Christ, the ministry of what we do for one another, is that we may present that person perfect. What does that mean? It means we don't become a stumbling block to them. It means we prefer them in charity. It means we love them. It means that we care about them. It means we're doing everything that we can to excel in edification. It means we're doing all of the things that God said are good works that we're supposed to be demonstrating. To demonstrate that we are his disciples by saying we do love one another and we show it. He says this is what we preach. Jesus Christ came into this world because he loved and he gave of himself for man's sin so that they would have an eternal life and have a reconciled uh, relationship with the creator, the God that made them. And he says this, and I want to get down to verse 29. We'll close with this. He says, where do I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily? What does that mean? That means that God is working in Paul. Through all of this, he's still not attributing that work that he's doing as his. It's Christ working in him. It's Christ working in him. You know what that means? That means Paul has to have a yielded spirit, a yielded flesh, a yielded soul. He has to be yielded to God, to Christ, to the Holy Spirit, so that it can be demonstrated that Christ is preeminent. That it's Christ that's working in him. That it's Christ that's the hope of glory. That it's Christ that's doing all of this. That it's not all about Paul. Now, Lord willing, we'll start picking up chapter 2 next week and we'll tie in some of what we're learning in chapter 1 into the next chapter and start getting an idea and a concept of what God is doing with the church at, uh, at Colossae, how we benefit from it and what we see and grow by through it. But let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to study your word. I pray, Lord, that as we close this chapter out and we get anxious for the next chapter and, Lord, get ready to read it and to study it and to learn from you, that, Lord, you just can, can continue to reveal to us who you are, the importance of you, and the importance of you being preeminent in our life. I thank you again, Lord, for this time. 
And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.